All right, thank you so much uh, for sending through all of your voice notes. We're going to get to those in just a second. 0605842250. Ask you for your open, honest assessment of how this lockdown has affected you as a sports lover. Maybe you as a football lover. I mean, I know a lot of the football players in the Premier Soccer League, they tell me on a daily basis that they listen to the show. And every time they listen, they, they're hoping to hear something, uh, you know, just I know that they're dreaming. But I always say to them that it's, it's good to, to hope. But yesterday, if you listen quite carefully, one of the things that we said with Dr. Sangmah uh was that as far as Germany is concerned, they've been able to manage this pandemic quite well. Not that there haven't been any deaths, they have been, but they've been able to handle it very, very well. And we're going to head off now and chat to Tariq Panja uh, from the New York Times as a journalist there. We spoke to him last week. Uh, Tariq, I did say to you, my friend, that uh, I I suspect we're going to be chatting quite a bit during this time of the (laughs) pandemic. (laughs) Thank you so much for uh, getting back and apologies about yesterday. German it's Bundesliga. It's a to be with you. German yeah, Bundesliga. Yeah. What, what, what's happening? Give us the latest there because you got some very good inside information that the entire world now has been able to peel off you and uh, spread to the entire world. Yeah, I, uh, I had a chat last night with the chief executive of the Bundesliga, Christian Stiefer, who, like the rest of us, is um, social distancing and is working away from his colleagues. So, we, you know, we, we had a chat via uh, um, one of these new applications that we're all getting familiar with, uh, a lengthy chat about what is happening with Bundesliga. And he surprised me uh, with, um, with how frank he was, to be honest. He, he, the, the, the teams in the Bundesliga, thanks, thanks to um, their relationship with local governments there, it's a federated country, so... each of the teams have to deal with their own regional governments. All of them in the first and second division this week are now able to train, not fully, uh, so in little groups, so they can maintain uh, the the rules around uh, preventing the spread of the coronavirus, uh, uh, with a view to be playing uh, league games again uh, as soon as early May, he said. And I was very surprised by that. Uh, as far as I was concerned, most European leagues, if they're lucky, would be playing in July and August. Uh, and he said he expected the league to be finished before the end of June, which is, um, again, within the current European calendar for, for this season. Um, it, was, it was extremely interesting. The, the other thing he said, and I think this is going to be very interesting to see how this play, uh, plays out, is the games will be played in empty stadiums without fans um, for the rest of this season, and he suspects at least until next year. So football as we know it, even when it does come back, it will look very different. Were you able, though, and, and maybe for the record, let me first place on record that Germany at the moment, as far as my figures are concerned, the latest figures is that they have 109,702 confirmed cases and that they've had 2,105 deaths as far as the coronavirus is concerned, mm-hmm. which when you compare to Italy, we've had 17,000, you compare it to Spain, we've had 14,000, and you compare it to the United States, we have 12,000 people that have died, and including France, that have had 10,000 people die from the coronavirus. They've had two 
2,105. So mm. they've been able mm. to manage it. But, it, I, I mean, I was saying yesterday, 2,000, Tariq, between you and I, you know that that is, that is crazy numbers for people to pass yeah, away yeah, 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 under yeah, any circumstances. Yeah, yeah. But were you able to throw to the CEO and, and find out that human beings are going to be playing the football, never mind the fans? Yeah, this is, this is, I did, I did. And also, um, it's about respecting the current situation as well. So you can't make a, a greater risk for health professionals who are already having to cope, however good the German healthcare system is. They, they seem to be extremely well prepared with um, intensive care beds and ventilators. Uh, they have the lowest um, percentage number of deaths as well. So it shows they've got quite an advanced medical system. However, they are... They are busy. Uh, they're not like, um, it's not a few dribs and drabs. You, you mentioned the numbers. Germany, I think, is the fifth largest, um, uh, has the fifth largest number of cases in the world. Uh, so one of the things is these tests, Germany, Germany is able to test um, about 100,000 people a day, which is remarkable. In, in the UK, I'm not sure we, we've managed to scrape past 10,000 yet. Um, and that has helped. Uh, and he and I said to him, you know, you're going to have to test all these players at least daily or, or, or perhaps more than that in order to get these games played. He said there'll be 240 people needed from, from broadcast professionals to the players themselves and all the other ancillary staff that are required per, per game who will also need this. Said, you know, he said it was very clear that he, he's been speaking to the government. These games won't go ahead without that permission. And if there is any risk of, there is no risk of taking tests away from 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 uh, hospital uh, professionals that would require that to, to do their job. So yeah, it did, did make that clear. Yeah, because I think the other problem again is that with football, even if there are no fans, as you rightfully say, that it's health workers. You need first aid treatment if a player does get injured. You've got ball boys uh, that are going to be there as well, running around collecting uh, the balls and and and. You would imagine, again, if they were wiping and cleaning and sanitizing, you know, the rugby balls before they shut down uh, the season, every time there was a, a throw-in or every time a ball went out and they were able to sanitize that, it, it, it again brings the attention to say, how sure, what is it that they're going to be doing that everybody else is not doing? Yeah, yeah. In terms of the, 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 the non-virus stuff as well, I mean, this is a physical game. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you're going to be taking any any uh, resources away from from the state that, that to be focused on this. His, his point was the they have um you know they're a wealthy organisation you know with billions in, in, in revenue and that they can afford medical staff to deal with to deal with injuries. And and um, the other part is to make sure that the players aren't forced to do this. So there is a, a program of of talking to the players to convince them and their families as well. That, you know, football players, this is the funny thing with footballers. We kind of, uh, and famous people in general, sometimes people forget that they're just like you, <laughs> you know, uh, have the same worries, have the same, um, uh, you know, grandparents they worry about, parents they worry about, their kids. So, so part of it is to, to explain to them that it's safe to do that and their games will only be played in, in a safe environment. And again, you know, um, this is Germany as well. So there is that slight benefit of the doubt because of you know history historically recent history germany tends to do things the right way and is very organized so you do you do think that's fairly well thought through if, if indeed it goes ahead and and 
but the, the thing that we can't escape uh, of the, you know, from is, yes, this will bring smiles maybe on the faces of people who are at home and can't watch their, 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 their teams play uh, and miss football. But, but there's a, the rea- reality is there's a huge financial issue here. And that is the reason why there is such an urgency also to get back on the pitch. Is that financial issue going to do with the television rights? Absolutely. So if, if these games are not played, say you cancel the season, um, Christian um, Seifel, the CEO, he, he put the number at um, 750 million euros that they would owe, uh, would lose. Um, a lot of that would be maybe rebates to, to TV companies or, or TV monies that have not come in. Plus, uh, Germany has the highest average attendance in Europe, possibly the world, at 42,000. So those are gate receipts. Uh, that, that, that they won't be getting. That they've already written those off, given that they're behind closed doors. Sponsors, etc. So this, 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 there is a, a kind of economic need to this. He said 50% of the second Bundesliga uh, teams in the second Bundesliga, Division 2, would uh, face bankruptcy if, if that was what would happen. Um, and maybe five teams in the top league would, would be um, uh, in, in serious financial trouble. The, the English Premier League has put the cost of um, scrapping the season if it is not played uh, um, at least a billion. Uh, I believe it's more likely to be a billion four according to their estimates. And and La Liga yesterday put the estimate at a billion euros. So this is um, this is a you know, an industry uh, like all the others, and its product is football, um, and it, it's got to find a way of getting getting on the field. Now, all they say, and I'll say it to you again, Tariq, as I'm sure that would have been your concern when chatting to the CEO, is, is yes, these are massive financial implications, but at the same time, what is the value of human life? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this, this, is, this, is, the, this is the kind of um, real conundrum that we have now. It's, it's the, the value of human life is is we we're starting to understand that more because all of our circumstances have 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 like overnight almost changed. It doesn't care where you are in the world. We're all experiencing this together. Um, but apart from the, the the people who are sadly sick, there's also concern about how people are going to cope with not being able to leave their homes. The the mental strain on those those guys, uh, men and women as well, and children. Um, so it, it's about, uh, you know, for, for, for governments as well and for, for, for these guys, it's about trying to strike a balance in, 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 in trying to create the conditions for human beings, the world to be able to, to live, and for our healthcare systems to be able to cope with what's coming. Um, and with the glass half full, which is, I guess, this man's job, given, given he's trying to promote his game, mm. is a sense that it might give a slight feeling of a return to uh, normality to people if the number one cultural product in the country is obviously in a, in a, in a new form, in a different form, is able to, to, to take place again, a, a sort of a chink of light, uh, you know, a sense that you know, we, we, we are perhaps slowly moving towards um, uh, overcoming at least the first stage of this because until a, a vaccine, this is, I guess, me talking and I'm no scientist, until a vaccine is found, it looks like uh, we can't take anything for granted uh, as far as this 
very dangerous virus is concerned. The, the one thing you mentioned is 42,000 fans on average that attend Bundesliga games on a regular. <laughs> and, and, and we can't even doubt that number because we see it. It's, it's the most attended. The vibe there is incredible. Now, top coaches around the world, including one that was there in Germany um, a couple of seasons back and is now in the EPL, Jurgen Klopp, whose team, Liverpool's top of the table, uh, he also has nothing that he can do because their football is off. Back to the 42,000 people. Now, guys like Jurgen Klopp were saying, Tarek, that playing behind closed doors is also one of those things that is not what football is about. Football is for the fans, and the fans are for the football at the stadium. And then obviously with that in tow, you then throw it to the rest of the world to then consume this product. Now, if the one element is not there that really gives the players an edge that want to be on the field, and that is why when people were punished, whether it was racism or whatever it was, they'll be punished with playing behind closed doors. So that was a punishment that they were being given. Now, it, it almost seems like, yes, we have a program. We need to finish it. It's going to be done by June. We've got about, about nine games or so left or something. Let, let's quickly get them done. But is the mm-hmm. feeling the same? Like if, or do people just find that it's, they don't have a choice? I mean, do coaches have the input? Do players have the input outside of the health factor, the football factor? You, you raise a, a really important point. It's the people's game, and it always, always has been. But, but I would say in the modern era, it's become a game of, sadly, um, uh, it's, a, it's a money game in many ways. The the advent of television, uh, satellite TV, and cable TV, the 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 the, the contents that we're we're talking about are so enormous that the players, um, uh, you know, are, are are like Hollywood celebrities at the top level. That they 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 would. Obviously, prefer to play with 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 the fans in the stadium. However, their salaries are um, enormous, and if if it is a choice of having nothing and the club closing its doors, which is the possibility here, if you if, if they have to pay these uh, rebates in the hundreds of millions of dollars, they, they almost have no choice. Obviously, it, it is it is the most awful, sterile uh, atmosphere. You mentioned Borussia Dortmund. You mentioned Liverpool. You talk about Leeds United. You could talk about Napoli. You could talk about huge uh, teams in all the countries, in, in your own country, in South Africa, Chiefs, Pirates. Football without the fans, is, is, is you lose you lose a huge part of its appeal. Um, and that, 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 is, that is without a shadow of a doubt. But, you know, at the moment... As far as they are concerned, they are between a rock and a hard place. Um, what, what, what? They've, they've, they've tried to map this out. Football, uh, uh, as we this this crisis, one thing it's shown is that football is 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 so interconnected. There isn't just the Bundesliga and the effect on Bundesliga. The the, the kind of domino effect, the, the global football calendar, is so connected. What's happening in in, in Germany will affect what's happening in the Euro- European Champions League then the national team football and the calendar is so packed. Ideally, you just wait this out and you come back. But, but then what, what do you do? You already had a cancelled Euro uh, postponed to 21. You've had a postponed Copa America. Uh, and then we've got this um, strange situation 
with the Qatar World Cup in 2022, which is going to be in November. So when are you going to play these matches? Uh, and if you don't play them, potentially face financial Armageddon. You know, th- th- these are really, really difficult uh, circumstances. Uh, and, and football without fans is, is unconscionable. It's hard to think about it. But, but unfortunately, this almost is the only avenue that, that is open to them because of the restrictions with, with, the, um, with the coronavirus and, and, and the, the risk of spread. All right, I'm going to quickly slip through and take a quick break. Um, I want to steal a few minutes after that, uh, Tarek, from you, if you don't mind, uh, because I I want to touch on this FIFA bribery uh, chat as well, because it's very important. You mentioned 2022 World Cup. Uh, Yeah, there have been developments there. Tarek Panja, live uh, coming through from the UK, New York Times journalist. Oh six oh five eight four double two five zero. That is the number as far as the WhatsApp voice notes are concerned. All right, let me dive straight into uh, what I'm going to be chatting to Tarek Panja, New York Times journalist, uh, joining us live from the UK, uh, and with almost every sporting action off the charts as we've been chatting to him right now. You'd think even the law is taking it easy, uh, but it's it's not the case uh, because FIFA have actually discovered getting hit by a fresh World Cup bribery scandal. I don't even know if that's the right word, Tarek. Um, Are we reliving these old wounds again? FIFA bribery scandals, World Cup? Yeah, well, it's the same. It's the same one. And, you know, it's it's the the 2015 investigation. And I must say, credit to the United States um, Department of Justice, in this case, for for persevering with, with this. And this is a country uh, that, in terms of passion for, for, for the game, for football, doesn't have it the same as in large parts of the world. There isn't any much emotion attached to, to this, certainly with the DOJ system. It's just plowing on. Uh, and I think that kind of that dispassionate um, aspect to it may have helped them to just, just grind through this very complex case. They aren't distracted by by some of the emotion that, that, that could arise in, in countries where, where, where the game is so popular. Um, what, we, what we saw, I think, was so significant, um, not because of new charges or anything like that, but it's related to the uh, vote for the 2018 and 2022 World Cups that took place on December the 2nd, 2010, um, in, in Zurich. Snowy day. I remember being in the auditorium that day. And these... Um, Seth Blatter, long-time FIFA president, uh, well-known in South Africa for the man who yep. brought the World Cup to your region, uh, opened two envelopes. First one, 2018, Russia popped out. Um, second one, Qatar popped out. And there were looks all across that room, um, even during the 2009-10, the bidding process. It just felt it reeked, it reeked of, of dishonesty and, and shady deeds. Um, there has been reports, there's been books written about how um, that was the dirtiest bidding competition um, yet. However, what we had not seen until uh, yesterday or, or two, on uh, Monday yeah, was the, uh, the fact in black and white in, a, in, a, in an indictment written by the United States Department of Justice that three men uh, from South America, Ricardo Teixeira, um, who uh, is the former president of Brazilian football, Nicolas Leos, the former head of South American football, and Julio Grandona, 
who we didn't identify, uh, but is a, uh, uh, a very easy to identify in description as a co-conspirator. Leos and, and Grondon are dead. These three men, it said, were paid money, a million dollars, uh, in this instance, to vote for Qatar. And then uh, it also says, with a lot more detail, that Jack Warner, who led the uh, CONCACAF, the, the, the regional governing body for North and Central America, he received $5 million through an extremely complex um, array of shell companies and wire transfers for his vote to go to Russia. And another man uh, um, from uh, Rafael Salguero from Guatemala was promised a million to also vote for Russia. Now, you may think that we've heard all of this before, but what we have not heard is in black and white, in a document like that, to tell us what we long suspected. But you've obviously seen, again, Tariq, that there would have been very, very swift to come by uh, Qatar and deny all of these. And, and their denial will always stem around, give us the proof, give us the evidence. They say that these are years and years of false claims. Evidence has never been produced to demonstrate that Qatar won the rights to host the FIFA World Cup. So how do you overcome that? Or are they being given this evidence, but just failing to acknowledge it? No, that's the, that's the course of action they'll take. But let me, um, you know, let's just posit a, uh, the situation around the vote as well. Here is Qatar, uh, per capita, the richest country in the world, extremely hot in the summer, uh, no real football heritage to speak of, no great population that could um, benefit from having 10 World Cup arenas built in, in, in its tiny territory. It is up against the United States of America, Japan, Korea, and Australia. On paper, it looks like the least likely candidate. It amassed 14 of the uh, 22 votes. Um, wiped the floor with the U.S. in the last uh, round. So you, you park that. How could this extremely wealthy country that would be perhaps the most unsuitable place on the planet in the summer be picked to host the Summer World Cup, which we've now seen had to move to winter. Uh, so you have that. Um, and then you have this, 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 this indictment here. And they will say, show us the proof. What else, what else can they say? And it was interesting as well that the Qataris in their denial, they were playing a very, very careful game here because Qatar is in the midst of a regional blockade dating back to 2017 against its larger neighbor, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. It's brutal. Qatar cannot afford to fall out of favor with the U.S. Privately, they are furious, but they weren't furious enough to point fingers at the Department of Justice just to deny it. So take what you will from that. You know what I'm going to take? I'm going to take a quick break, Tarek. I'm going to push you again, my friend. Um, I think it's an important conversation. It was important for South Africa when they lost out. The then Charles Dempsey. Uh, we all remember that. I remember that very well because the likes of, um, uh, you know, Sepp Blatter, you mentioned him. Uh, Jürgen Klinsmann was there in, in, in Zurich and everybody was expecting not Germany to get it, but South Africa to get it at the time. And then there was a certain 
Dempsey that decided to abstain from voting, and we all know what happened then. Uh, but then South Africa were to be awarded the World Cup uh, the next time round in 2010. So it, it's an ever-evolving scenario that I really want to wrap up nicely with you. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. Tariq Panja, you can follow him as well on Twitter. Fantastic uh, reporting that he does uh, works with the New York Times. We are making contact with New York Times journalist uh, Tariq Panja, who's been busier than most uh, during this lockdown period, uh, but getting down to the meat, the hardcore of the issues. And as you know, that uh, for nearly a decade, Russia... Qatar have been suspected of buying votes uh, to win uh, the hosting rights for the 2018-2022 World Cups. And um, yeah, just this week on Monday, for the, for the first time, the U.S. Department of Justice uh, putting things in black and white for everybody to see. And that is where uh, Tariq has stepped up his game and uh, given us the information the world has been reading. Uh, you know, the, the familiar names, you know, the familiar players here, uh, Tariq, the Jack Warners of this world, have yet to come across a leader that has said, yes, I'm guilty. They are correct. I took the $5 million. It, it hasn't been the case. I mean, he's been accused of a number of crimes, though, uh, in the U.S. probe. And I think the last time he was fighting extradition, uh, from his homeland in Trinidad and Tobago. That's right, that's right. Jack Warner has been fighting extradition since uh, the charges were first laid. I think it was a day of May the 25th, 2015. Jack Warner famously um, was taken into custody that night. Um, he managed to, uh, his lawyers managed to get him out. He, he, he um, left the police station in an ambulance. And he was later seen in a floral shirt at a party. So uh, this is this is Jack Warner. He's always been known as cunning as a fox. And uh, that little vignette shows that Jack really doesn't care, and he'll do whatever is necessary to to avoid extradition to the U.S. Now, when you backtrack and you look at the fact that, okay, fine, whatever's happened in Russia has happened and people have moved on and they never really accepted any wrongdoing there either, uh, Tariq, does this justice happen retrospectively? Well, what's interesting uh, is the bid leader of the Russian uh, World Cup effort for 2018, Alexei Sorokin, who... uh, described the uh, allegations made by the U.S. as as laughable, and he said he doesn't even remember the names of of the people who voted anymore. It was such a long time ago. But anyway, he is um, now on the FIFA Council, which is the replacement body for the FIFA Executive Committee that took the vote. Funny how things uh, turn out in life, right? So this is up to FIFA now. This is, the, this is the U.S. Department of Justice. Do you, they've said they're going to ask for the evidence. Are they really going to ask for the evidence? When they get the evidence, what are they going to do? Unfortunately, sports politics or sports governing bodies are mired in, in politics. And, and, and justice often is, is opaque. Mm-hmm. And decisions that might seem logical to you and me or outcomes or investigations that might seem uh, obvious to, to us as outsiders... They, they are like a game of three-dimensional chess inside these organizations. Justice is done sometimes, it seems, when it suits. But when it's perhaps politically too tricky, we may want to leave that file in the, in the cupboard for a bit longer. 
It's amazing. I think just that, again, when you, when you juxtapose those two and you're saying where he is now versus where he was then as the CEO of the local organizing committee for the 2018 Russian World Cup. And I, I remember he, he famously said, and, and I'm not quoting directly here, uh, he was saying that this is only the opinion of lawyers. You know, he, he, he almost, you know, sort of brushed it off and said, yes, we hear you, but that is just the opinion of lawyers. We have repeatedly said that our bid was transparent. So obviously any legal issue, Tariq, you and I would know, is a legal opinion of lawyers up until it's tested in a court of law. Right. Uh, Robert, the Russians have been amazing in terms of obfuscating uh, this inquiry, like they have with the... um doping scandal in, in, in international sport and the Olympics, so we can part with that. One of the, one of the most interesting aspects of, of Russia's approach to all the investigations related to, to this tarnished bid process came during the famous Michael Garcia investigation. I don't know if you remember mm, this. this yes. Michael Garcia, former U.S. attorney who was hired to be the chief of ethics at FIFA, um, Around, after this, so around um, from 2011 to I think around 2014, 2015, um, he the pressure told on FIFA, the the allegations, the books, the the media reports, the, the various investigations um, before before uh, 2015 to to launch a thorough investigation into the World Cup bidding process. This was before Russia hosted and before Qatar hosted, and FIFA said that it will be a, a forensic process. Um, however, it, it's a sporting organization, so it doesn't have subpoena powers. It can't force people to hand over bank records, and it can't force people who are not involved with football to talk to them, because why should they? So it was flawed from, from the beginning. However, Russia, which was... <laughs> came up with the most interesting excuse I've heard of in, in any type of corporate investigation. They were asked, could they hand over, like all the other, like all the other bids, mm. um, the files, emails, um, any records from that period? Russia said, no, it couldn't, because all the computers it had used during that bid process, which was about 12 months, maybe slightly longer than that, had been leased from a company who had since destroyed all of them. So there was absolutely oh. no records they could hand back. Um, and interestingly, also, Michael Garcia was banned from Russia mm. by Russian authorities because of his link to the U.S. government uh, amid tensions between the two countries. And that case was handled, that part of the investigation was handled by a Swiss prosecutor, his uh, deputy at the time, Cornel Borbley, uh, Russia said, we've sent an email or we've sent a letter to Google to uh-huh. ask them, have, have you, um, could you access our emails? Now, no one has ever chased that up. The computer, <laughs> I don't know, if you want to believe the computers were destroyed, I guess they're saying it. And then, uh-huh. and then you, have, you have the situation of these emails that no one's got. So, so then we have this report that lambasts the bid, which actually provided the information to them. England, mm. I think, was heavily criticised. The only, the, only, the only bidder, I think there was like 10 in total across two bids, that came out with a, a clean bill of health 
was the one from Netherlands and Belgium. All of them sort of smelt a little bit or something was slightly wrong. And Russia, mm. absolutely nothing, because nothing could be, could be gleaned from them. So Russia essentially get a clean bill of health. And, and this is, this is the kind of Alice in Wonderland world we're living in. Unbelievable, Tariq. Well, I mean, you know what? I've even lost track of time again. Always fascinating. Please follow Tariq Panja. He is on Twitter, at Tariq Panja. That is all. And he's a a co-author, football secret trade reporter with the New York Times, a contributor here on Marawa Sports Worldwide. As always, fascinating. Keep up the great work, Tariq. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Robert. Good to be with you. Take care. Always a pleasure. Wow, incredible conversation there.